is such a privilege to be here and specifically with this type of environment where we are focusing in on the mission, the mission of God. I don't like to say missions. I don't think that S belongs there when it comes to speaking of it. And I'll tell you why, because if I talk about missions, it's going to be about what I'm doing or what Brother Mike's doing or what one of you all are doing. But the real question is, what's the mission of God? Singular. What's he doing? I just want to be part of what he's doing. And tonight we're going to talk about what he's doing, and our heart is to plug into that, whatever it might be, and wherever it might be. Tonight's going to be a little bit divided, and I want to give you a preface to this because I don't want you to be confused as to how we're spending these 30 minutes. So I believe I'm given 30, so I'll go till 8.30 right on the dot. But with that said, uh, the first uh, 10 to 15 minutes, I want to give you a little overview of something the Lord has just burdened my heart with for the past 15 years. And as we look at it, we're really focusing in on the word vision. Then we're going to head to the word of God, and we aim to look at a perspective of vision through the story of one of Elisha's servants. Then tomorrow, we aim to look at another one of Elisha's servants and see another vision, which is completely skewed, because determined on how we see the world around us, it ultimately will determine on how we live the life that God has given us to live. So with that being said, we're going to go to, uh, and we are going to ask the Lord for a couple more things, but just, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to wait until we go to the word just to specifically ask him for that. Uh, if you'll go and bring up these, the, the PowerPoint, and I guess I'm the one that's supposed to be moving it around. I just want to make mention again that I am really grateful to have my wife and my daughter here. And, uh, and I want to remind you just of a little side note that as we pursue seeing the world come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, remember that the Lord has given us all responsibilities right where we are. And I, one thing I'm convicted about being in the ministry that the Lord has placed in my life, and I'm sure Mike would feel very similar, is that when I wake up in the morning, there's many things I need to pray about, but I don't have to pray about if I'm to love this girl like Christ loved the church. And I don't need to pray about, am I supposed to make a disciple of Jesus Christ of this girl right there? These are ministries, I don't need to pray about if it's a ministry or not, the Lord's given me. It's a priority in life. And so I start there, and I would just ask that you pray for our family. Also, with that being mentioned, there is a table back there, and I just want to encourage you, if you'll pray, there's a little prayer guide, 31-day prayer guide, and people give me a lie frequently when I travel around. It it really is a lie. It's a bold-faced lie, and I, I wish the church would get over this lie. We say, I'll pray for you. It's the least I can do. It's a terrible lie. What, what more can you do for me? You got more power than the Almighty? Please pray. It's the most you can do. And if you want to do lesser things, that's fine. But do the biggest thing. Pray. There are also some prayer cards, and there are only a few with Haven in it. So then when you get down to just Priyanka and I, sorry, those are out. There's also a book back there. Done with that. So with that being said, family. But I want to talk about something else now for the next uh, five to ten minutes before we head to Second Kings. I want to just lay out a bit of a vision for you and, uh, and see what the reality of our world is today. Now, unfortunately, I think some of these slides got a little bit messed up in transition to this computer. So if they come in strange, please just bear with me and get the, the message that's being shared. We live in a world where obviously we have over seven billion people. But there's a tragedy, and I want to ask you a simple question. Now, the question you don't have permission to answer with your lips. It's only going to be answered with our lives. 
And it's going to be answered corporately as a church. And the question is, do we care about the things Jesus Christ cares about? Do you remember in Matthew 24, Christ was asked by his disciples, when will the end come? And Jesus said, when the gospel of the kingdom's gone into all the world, then the end will come. Now, I understand there's different interpretations of that. But the point being is that Christ died for all men. He desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And yet in our world today, we have a reality. Though there are 2.5 billion Christians worldwide, a very loose term, there are 3 billion unreached people. Now, that means places where less than 2% are believers in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a simple question. What is a title that Christ placed on us while he was walking on earth? Well, you could say there were a few. He said, you shall be my witnesses. Later on, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, said, you are ambassadors of Christ. But Jesus Christ said, you are the light of the world. Our responsibility is to shine into darkness, is it not? Wherever you walk in, if it's a classroom, a high school classroom, a college classroom, a work environment, a grocery store, when you walk into that place, you are the light of the world if you belong to the Lord Jesus. And your, your life should make darkness uncomfortable. Do you realize there are vast areas of the world, vast areas, where very little light is even shining? Uh, not even accessible. Yes, the Lord can speak through creation and dreams and visions, but he said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, look a little deeper in here. 220 million people are unengaged. People living in places where there are no, none, no, no one full-time Christian workers. None at all. No one's even trying to plant churches. 220 million, that's way over half the USA in population. I have to ask, why? Pembroke Pines has way more. Just Pembroke Pines, not even Miami, not Fort Lauderdale, not Palm Beach. And yet, why are there 220? Why do we care? No, no lips. Lives. Over 86% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists don't know one Christian personally. I, I want to ask you a question now. If I walk randomly, I, I'm tempted to do this, but I don't want to because it's not fair to the person I'm picking up the phone of. I really want to pick up phones right now. I want to look in the recently called friends. How many out of everybody in this room would I find a Hindu, a Muslim, or a Buddhist in a recently called friend? It's amazing. We can sit in missionary classes, but do we care about the souls right around us? Do you have friends that fall in these demographics? And if not, are we really not accessing them right where we're at? I speak to myself. If you're listening, that's fine. The church and the unreached, uh, I guess it was going to come up automatically here, just to let you all know, one unreached people group for every 350,000 believers. Do you get that? Imagine a congregation of 350,000 people. That's how many there would be for every unreached people group, and yet still, they remain unreached. Over 8 million Christians for every unengaged people group. Let's just go a little bit further in. 
The church as a whole makes, and I update these statistics, so if you've heard me talk about this before, I do try to keep them fairly updated. $42 trillion, and that's very loose. But I just want you to notice this. $700 billion is donated to church-related causes. Just to give you an idea, Americans spend a little more than that on Christmas alone, okay? So what the church gives, I'm talking about giving money to those on the street, giving money to the YMCA organization, giving money to um, whatever charity it is, or giving money in the offering plate. We still spend more on Christmas, but hang on, it gets a little bit worse than that. $45 billion of that $700 billion is actually invested in emissions. That's why I'm thrilled that there are places like this that, that want to focus on the call of God to see the lost here. Now, just as a side note, we do spend over $60 billion a year just in this country on dieting and losing weight. So we're actually spending more on losing our excess than we spend on seeing souls, no Christ. But it gets worse than that. $50 billion is spent in fraud just in churches. So there's more fraud in churches than evangelism. $450 million, that's 1% of everything given to missions, guys. 1%. How many unreached? Did you see how many unreached there were? <laughs> over 2 billion unreached. Well, okay, so if there's over 2 billion unreached, we're probably giving at least like 30, 40% of what goes to missions to the unreached. No, no. 1% of everything that goes to missions goes to seeing the unreached reached. 1%. 1%. And that's the money going to missions. As a side note, we spend more on Halloween costumes for our pets every year in this country than the entire church does to see the unreached reached, financially speaking. So the average Christian, one out of every $100,000 goes to seeing the unreached reached. Why do I share these? Am I trying to make anyone feel bad? No, I just want us to go back to the heart of Jesus Christ and say, the job's not done. Are any of us comfortable? Are we relaxed? Are we resting on past accolades? Are we saying, hey, I've done my part? My friends, the glory of Jesus Christ is our goal. We seek to be found pleasing to him. And if he desires all men to know, do we desire all men to know? This is not meant for condemnation because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But conviction, that's a good thing. It means the Lord's molding us. I want to end with just one final little note uh, before end before we head to the Word of God, and I just want to throw out one more place as uh, just a, a heart to pray for as you leave this meeting. I pray that each one of you would invest at least two minutes tonight, just two minutes. As I'm not asking much, two minutes to pray for the land of Bangladesh. My wife and I have been praying about this land for a while. We would love it if the Lord would send us there next. Um, as you probably know, we've been in Niger and or I was in Niger and Egypt for the last decade. Um, but Bangladesh has been on our heart now for about three years. And I just want to give you a little intro to Bangladesh in about two minutes just to give you some prayer ammunition. To give you an idea of Bangladesh's size, there's Bangladesh laid over Georgia. It's smaller than Georgia, okay? So a very small country. So you're probably thinking, why are you talking about Bangladesh? Well, hang on. <laughs> Do you see this? That is Iran, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. Are you ready for this? There's a lot of Muslims in Iran, right? There are a lot of Muslims in Iraq, right? There are a lot of Muslims in Saudi Arabia, right? Take Iran, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia, all the Muslims combined, and in the place smaller than Georgia, that's Bangladesh. They're all combined. That's the Muslims in Bangladesh. Largest unreached people group in the entire world is Bangladesh. Over 130 million just in one people group alone in Bangladesh unreached. The country itself, well over about the population, uh, over half the population of the United States just in Bangladesh. Packed. You want to know their capital? Three times as crowded as New York City. 47,000 people per square kilometer. Now, are you ready for the tragedy? 
It's a, it's a positive tragedy, okay? It's an open country. The government will let you come. Why are they unreached? Every country's open, by the way. The Lord said, go into all the world. We go into all the world, regardless of what governments say, and we take the consequences of it. Pray for Bangladesh. Pray for the Lord to raise up workers for Bangladesh for such a time as this. And I believe it's not about recruiting. Don't leave tonight saying, okay, I'll go. (laughs) Leave tonight and get bloody knees. Get on your knees, lock yourself in a prayer closet, do whatever it takes for God to give you his heart for these people and the people that live next door to you. So the unreached. I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to skip this slide here. There are some prayer requests, but you can pick up a prayer calendar and pick that up. And I want to um, not start that video, okay? I'm going to leave it like that. If you want to make the screen go blank, I'll end on that clip, okay? So you can leave it there, and there'll be audio when we come back to it. Would you turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6? Because we're talking about vision. And I want to leave you with just a few little thoughts on vision, because I just shared with you some vision. I just shared with you some ideas, some thoughts of what is right before us in our world, and yet how easy it is to say we care when these realities exist and yet do they change the way we live? Do they change the way we spend? Do, the cha- do they change the way we pray? I think this story will give us a little bit of insight as to how the Lord wants to deal with our hearts. Be encouraged. I pray that when we leave here tonight, you'll be encouraged in the Lord again. Why does he open up our hearts to these things? Because he wants to use us. That's exciting. So don't let this be discouragement, but rather let it be a wake up. Second Kings chapter six. And I want to start reading in verse eight. And though the time is short, I'm going to read a decent portion because we need to know this story. Verse 8, once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the man of God is Elisha, by the way. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing he called his servants and he said to them will you not show me who of us is for the king of israel and one of his servants said none my lord O king but elisha the prophet who's in israel he tells the king of israel the words you speak in your bedroom and he said go and see where he is that i might send and seize him it was told him behold he's in dothan So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, don't be afraid for those who are with for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord. Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me. I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And they, and he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Oh Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow, set bread and water before them that they might eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they'd eaten and drunk, they sent them away and they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Father, this is your word. And as we go to it, we seek to learn from you and you alone No words of man will do. You said it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by your spirit. If you don't work, nothing good's going to happen. Even these things have already been shared concerning the unreached. Lord, they're all statistics and just information unless you work in our hearts. Lord, give us the heart you have for souls. And Father, I pray, open our eyes that we might see. Open my eyes that I might see. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I don't aim to do. I don't aim to be comprehensive whatsoever in looking at this passage. It wouldn't do justice in the next 12 minutes. I want to look at just a little focus. This whole story is about two sets of blind people. One is blind from the beginning, and that's the servant of Elisha. And then there's another group that gets blind in the middle, and that would be the armies coming against them. I just want to focus on Elisha's servant, though, and just see a few things which I believe the Lord wants to do with our eyes. Can can I make a, a, a gentle comment and a gentle suggestion for each one of us? Would we be willing to just, before the Lord this evening, suggest that maybe we're blind? Could it be we, we, we're not seeing what we're supposed to be seeing? I speak of myself. Please do not assume I'm coming like, oh, wow, I know what Florida needs to see. Oh, please, that is not how I'm coming to you. I'm coming in brokenness, recognizing I'm the first person that needs to respond to the things being said. But if you would just before the Lord and I before the Lord, just maybe suggest I'm blind. I need to see tonight. But can you notice a few things about how Elisha, through the Spirit of God, worked in the servant's life. Isn't it interesting that when they come against him, the first thing he says, he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? In verse 15, right? What shall we do? You know, it's so easy to be focused on what we need to do. It's so easy to see clearly what we can't do. We can't defeat them. But my friends, I think sometimes the problem is asking, what can we do? I got good news for you. We can't do anything good apart from him. This is not going to be a war that's going to be won with our strategies. I was 
discipling this guy in Greenville, and dear guy, in fact, he just flew to the Middle East this past week, and he was just really burdened because he's going through all his missional training and it's strategy after strategy. He says, it feels just kind of empty. It's not that strategies are bad, my friends, but it's the Spirit of God that's going to change lives. And how do we hear clearly the Spirit of God? It's no secret, it's prayer. And so what happens here? He says, what shall we do? But I love where Elisha starts. And so if you just want to write down three words, because I think these three words are important for you. The first word is priority. Please notice the priority of Elisha. When he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? Look what he says in verse 16. Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The first priority is calming the heart of the servant, not calming the situation around the servant. And this is important for each one of us to grasp that as we think about the world around us, it can be intense. We can think about all the, the, I mean, think about this nation alone. Think about election year alone. Think about the chaos and division that we see. We think, man, what shall we do? What can we do? I think the first thing, the Lord, the priority, he says, just like when, when Jesus was on the water with the disciples in Matthew chapter 8, and remember the, the waves are crashing in the boat, he doesn't calm the storm first. He calms the disciples first. Can, can you picture that? They're getting soaked. They're getting whipped by waves, lightning striking. I mean, this is a chaotic storm. And Jesus gets up. And he's like, don't be afraid. Like, Jesus, can you calm the storm and then say, don't be afraid? I just want to encourage you that, that the Lord's probably not going to make your circumstances easier right now. He's probably not going to calm the chaos in your life right now. The first thing he wants to do is calm your hearts before him. He wants you to know he's God and that he cares and that he loves you. And so the first thing we see is the priority. And this is the priority the Lord has for us too. So whatever it is that you're struggling with, maybe it's about letting the Lord open your eyes to the reality that he doesn't just say, don't fear like, oh man, fear is not good. He says, don't fear because none of us have blind faith. That's not, that's not what he's asking for. He's saying there's a reason you don't have to fear because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. See, I, I do something that annoys people like crazy and I don't apologize for it. I'm going to keep doing it. If I apologize, then it means I would stop doing it, but I'm going to do it again. And that is that when I read books, I read the first chapter and then I read the last chapter. I know, it might annoy you. I do it. Because if it doesn't end well, I don't want to read everything in between. (laughs) Do you know? I know how the Bible ends. I know how this world ends. It ends for me forever with the Lord. And I also know who's sitting on the throne at the end of the story. I know who has the last word. I know who's called the Alpha and the Omega. I'm not worried about that. So I can take that, do not be afraid. But then there's something else. It's not just the priority. There's a perspective. Do you see what Elisha goes on to do? He says, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then verse 17, then Elisha prayed. And he said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. I love this. Because notice, oh, this is beautiful. It's not like Elisha gets to his knees and says, Lord, deliver us from our enemy. 
See, that's still not the priority. At first it was the priority of fear. Now it's the right perspective. Let me ask you, when you look around you, are you more, are you giving the enemy more credit than the power of God? Where are we focusing our, let's say, uh, passion? I love that Instead of seeing danger, what did he see? He saw deliverance, the deliverance of God. And he prayed that his eyes would be open to what God was doing. And what was God doing? That the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Do you believe that this is the reality for us today? We know we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's very clear from Ephesians 6. But it also tells us that Christ has seated us with him in the heavenlies. We already have this position, this special privilege to be seen where we already saw in Ephesians chapter 1 that that's where he is. If this is true, I think the problem for all of us is not that we see what the world's doing. Did you notice Elisha didn't say, oh, no, 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 no. They're not really there. (laughs) They're just like peasants hanging out outside the city or uh, they're not strong. There's nothing to demean the enemy. They were strong. They had swords. They could kill. I love that Elisha never plays down the enemy. And neither should we. The enemy is powerful. The enemy is seeking to destroy. The enemy's looking for those he can accuse. He's a father of lies. He's the God of this age. He's the prince of the power of the air. Don't, don't, don't just say, oh, there's nothing there. There is something there. But you know what I love about Elisha? He doesn't play down the enemy. He exalts his God. And that's the reality for us. There are many foes to face. But are your eyes open to truly the power of God and what he's doing? I shared a lot of statistics with you. Don't be overwhelmed by that. Be overwhelmed that Jesus Christ died for every single soul in Bangladesh. Be overwhelmed that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Be overwhelmed that he is not willing that any should perish, but all, all might be saved. Perspective. And then that final thing, which I'll just mention because I want to close with this illustration. The final thing is this. I want you to see his prayer. What did he pray? So Elisha prayed. So, so he said, prayed, Lord, open the eyes of the young man. And he saw. And then when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord. And he said, please strike this people with blindness. And we see they're struck with blindness and not blindness of eyes. I mean, you could, uh, you could, you could suggest maybe that was the case. I don't think that was the case because when their eyes were open, it's the same phrase used for like Eve when her eyes were opened. It, it, it's a, it's a, a blinding of knowledge. They didn't realize what was going on. That's why he led them. How do you lead somebody that's blind? I mean, like really, you have to like lead a whole army. They followed him. They clearly, he led them into the middle of the city. Why would they as blind people just follow the very people they were attacking? They were blinded in their minds. The same thing the God of this age has done to the hearts of this generation. But I love how Elisha never saw them as his enemy. He leads them in. He gives them food. And then 
He sends them home. And what's the result? The result is peace. What is our prayer for those around us? Is our prayer for their destruction? Or is our prayer for their ultimate deliverance? Do we see those around us as our foes, whether it be a political party or whether it be another nation or whether it be a virus in China? My friends, understand what the big battle is here. The battle is the Lord's. And as his servants, our responsibility as the light of the world is to walk into darkness and show forth the glories of who he is, the glories of the gospel. Remember 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in clay pots, in earthen vessels, that the surpassing treasure, this glory, it's Christ to be seen. It's the gospel to be seen. So be encouraged. Well, I trust you'll be encouraged with this closing illustration. It really touched my heart when I saw these kids over in Myanmar. And I'm going to play this video. Can you turn the volume up? It's about 300 children in Burma. Almost all of them come from Buddhist families. Almost all of them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ before they graduate. But something amazing is about to happen when I tell you about this song. If you notice, they're singing all the different parts of Handel's Messiah, or this part of it. It's it's third grade through, I think, ninth grade singing. But there's something very interesting about it. You can fade that out. There's something very interesting about the way that they're singing. You see, when they learn this song, they each learned it in their individual classroom without everybody else. And they didn't get to choose what part they sang because the sopranos were, they just said, well, fifth grade, you're the sopranos. Fourth grade, you're the basses. And they just had to sing their part regardless of uh, what their vocal talent was. But here's the interesting thing. They didn't realize they were part of a bigger song until the director of the school, a woman named Pam, she brought them all together and she says, now... You sing your part, you sing your part. And they were in awe that they were actually part of a far larger choir and part of this magnificent piece we call the Hallelujah Chorus. And when I heard them sing it and I heard the story, I realized that's the body of Christ. We each have a part to sing. We each have a responsibility. And let me tell you that if the fifth graders tried to sing the ninth graders part, it would not work. If the third graders tried to be the seventh graders, it would not work. If the sopranos said, I like the bass part better, it wouldn't sound the same. Let me just encourage you that as we think about the world around us, God hasn't called us all to do the same thing, but he has called us all to plug into the same mission. We're all singing the same song, and that song is a song of his glory. Praise to the Lamb of God who was slain who's worthy to receive honor and blessing, power and riches, glory forevermore. Amen. So be encouraged tonight. You have a part to sing. And at times you might say, how does my part fit into anything? Just doesn't sound that good when I'm just saying, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah with nothing else. You're part of a bigger picture. So be faithful where God's planted you, but also be on your knees so you can hear what the next step might be. May God give us clear vision. Let's pray. Father, we ask 
that you continue to work in each one of our lives, that we might listen to your voice, we might be attentive to what you have for us. And I pray that we might have vision where, as the servant of Elisha, we might not so much see our enemy, but we might see the eternal one, the one who has already conquered, that we don't work for victory, we work from victory. And I praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ has conquered and he will forevermore reign. So we give him all the glory now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.